gap between the train and the platform. You're listening to Paso Chipotle, the show that will take you to discover the edible treasures of Mexico. Episode 22. Welcome to this episode of Paso Chipotle, the audible companion of Sabor, this is Mexican food, a digital magazine dedicated to exploring the markets, streets, recipes, and traditions that make Mexico an edible paradise. I'm your host, Rocío Carvajal, food historian, cook, and author. To find more information about this show, please go to pasdechipotle.com. Find the show on Twitter as Chipotle Podcast. This is Kira from the United States, and I love listening to the Past the Chipotle podcast. Hola, soy Ramiro. Soy de Matamoros, México, y me encanta escuchar el podcast Past the Chipotle. Hello, I am B. Adriola Owen from Amarillo, Texas, USA, and I love listening to Past the Chipotle podcast. Привет, я Екатерина из Эстонии, и я обожаю слушать Pasta и Chipotle podcast. Welcome to episode number 22 that features the youngest of my guests so far in the show. Her name is Yolanda Ocon. She is a young Mexican expat living here in London. I met Yolanda a few months ago at the beginning of the year and when I learned about her work and how interesting I thought she was and what a good conversation and perspective I thought it would be for the show, I decided to invite her. Yolanda juggles several jobs. She is marketing manager at the renowned School of Walk in London. And back when we recorded this interview, the offices were still at Elephant and Castle, but have now relocated near the actual school, which is in Covent Garden in central London. Since Yolanda's arrival a few years ago, she found that the creative and vibrant food scene of the city lit her long life passion for Mexican food and the revelation that pretty much all food manifestations are the sparkles that come out of encounters between cultures inspired her to grab the chance and put her creativity and culinary instincts to launch Eat Latin, a food startup that offers dining experiences through supper clubs and uh, private catering. And she harvests foods and flavors, ingredients and inspiration from Latin America. And you will hear more about that project in the interview. Traditional foods, not only here in England, but I would say in the world, are really having a moment. And a way to approach them as culinary institutions and fertile ground for innovation presents a big challenge. But it's actually the perfect catalyst to redefine the way we appropriate our own heritage and what it means to us now. Mexico's vast and complex gastronomy 
is approached by many young and talented cooks inside and outside Mexico as raw material to create new interpretations of it. Tradition purists can sometimes have a monolithic version of the national cookbook, forgetting that, well, none of those recipes or cooking methods really existed, like, from the beginning. They are the direct product of outrageous innovation and never-seen combinations of flavors and cooking methods from indigenous, European, and even Asian and African cuisines that over the centuries have become what we now recognize as a Mexican cookbook. So it's my observation that the task of creating new traditions is not only achieved by paying homage to that knowledge, but also by standing on the proverbial shoulders of cooks past and present to create inspirational and meaningful dishes. Several weeks after I recorded this episode, I met with Yolanda again, and this time at the School of Walk for a cooking class. She invited me and my partner, and we went as students and had such great fun sharing stories, learning a few Chinese staple dishes, and it was absolutely fabulous. One of the reasons why I like interviewing people from such different backgrounds and having them as guests on the show is because I am absolutely convinced that just as we can learn so much from well-established cooks and their life experience and career, I personally see just with the same interest and curiosity the rising of new talented people who bring fresh blood and ideas that contribute to shifting not only the gastronomic offer of cities, but also are pretty much the blood and oxygen that keeps the food industry full of dynamic and creative energy that keeps us inspired and wondering, you know, uh, how can we appropriate other cultures in a respectful way, but a creative uh, one as well and our own uh, how to see through someone else's eyes. So in this conversation, we talked about travels, cultural exploration, entrepreneurship, inspiration, and life. Yolanda will also share one of her recent favorite books that I think you will also find it very interesting. And thank you, Spasiva, gracias, to everybody that sent greetings for the show. Thank you so much. I appreciate them all. And it really puts a smile on my face just to know that wherever you are in the world, you are listening to this. And I hope really that is as entertaining as it is inspiring and thought-provoking. So without further delay, I hope you enjoy this episode. in Elephant and Castle in South London, where, curiously enough, there aren't any castles nor elephants, but the name derives from a coaching inn that seems to have its origins in Elizabethan times. Yolanda, thank you so much for welcoming the microphones of Pate Chipotle. I'm really happy to be here. Well, thank you very much for inviting me and giving me the time to share my experiences with you. It's a pleasure. Um, it always really makes me quite excited to meet people who step beyond their comfort zone and challenge themselves to try new things and find their passion in unexpected places. And that is precisely your case, Yolanda. 
because you left your hometown in Torreón, in the northern state of Coahuila in Mexico, to take part in an exchange program to get working experience in logistics in Germany. Now, how did you go from that to end up working with Jerry Pang and his award-winning School of Walk in London? <laughs> well, that's a funny story. Um, I went to Germany for a six-month exchange program um, and then they ended up staying for one year and a half where I did an internship in the field of logistics. Then after Germany, I moved to London to study my MBA. At the time, I was looking for a part-time job. Uh, I found an ad from the School of Work where they were looking for a marketing intern. The whole concept of teaching people how to cook sounded very interesting to me. Plus, I really like Asian food. So I saw this as an opportunity to learn more about it. Then I went to, well, for an informal internship with Jeremy, an, an interview with Jeremy, and I guess we can say that it all went really well. Five years on, and I now I am the head of marketing and sales here at school. Well, that is quite a change then in your professional life, but also culturally, because just adapting from Mexico to Germany to London, cooking and promoting Chinese cooking, how did you actually manage to adapt culturally to all those um, changes and experiences in such a short time? Well, to be honest, it's not as easy as it sounds. I, it took me a while, especially here in London. The first couple of years were a bit difficult. So back home, when you want to see friends, it's just like a 15-minute ride. Um, and here, it takes you an hour to meet someone. So it means that you don't see people that often. But nowadays, I, I'm used to it, and I really like my life here in London. That, that sounds fabulous. <laughs> and just to explain a bit more, for those who have never been to Mexico, our country, that is Yolanda's and myself, is not only ethnically diverse and quite large, with a total surface of 1,972,550 square kilometers, and with a population of approximately 123,675,325 people, approximately. Now, your home state of Coahuila, Yolanda, is a beautiful territory surrounded by rugged mountain ranges, and your regional cuisine had a very different evolution to that of central Mexico, uh, where the capital of the country is located, by the way. Now, how would you define the gastronomic traditions of Coahuila, and, and how, in your opinion, they are different from central Mexico? Well, I would say that the food in Coahuila is a bit more simple than other regions in the country. We have a really dry climate. This means that we don't have a huge range of fruits and vegetables, rather than if you compare it to the central Mexico or the south. Um, well, this means that the food is simple. But we do eat a lot of meat, I must tell you. Uh, Coahuila is one of the best meat producers in Mexico. And if you add that to uh, the hot weather, you get yourself a barbecue party almost every weekend. And not just not any barbecue. Uh, barbecues in my hometown are almost like a ritual. You have loads and loads of food, starting with a big bowl of frijoles charros, which is a bean stew with bacon, chorizo, and onions, and it's delicious. Then you also have your side dishes, like grilled tender cactus, we in the desert, uh, guacamole, corn and flour tortillas, and a good selection of homemade sauces, of course. That sounds delicious any day of the year, of course. 
Um, here in Britain, there is a tradition of just barbecuing during the summer and probably late spring. So you are quite lucky to enjoy these <laughs> parties every other weekend. Yeah. I really get homesick during the <laughs> summer here when it starts raining and I know that back home they're having a barbecue. Oh. <laughs> but I guess it's part of the deal of living here. <laughs> it is indeed. And do you try to recreate those uh, barbecues here? Have you tried to make uh, a good pot of Ricoles Charros? Yeah, it's funny enough. Well, I live in a tall building and I live on the 11th floor. So the first time we moved there, we put a barbecue thinking, oh yeah, no, it's easy. We can just make a barbecue at home. It's safe. We did a couple of times a barbecue, but then we found out that we were not allowed because it's quite <laughs> dangerous. Like imagine in a balcony on the 11th floor having a barbecue. Um, well, that, that was about it. We haven't done barbecues again. It's every time that we have summer here in London, we just find new friends that have a garden and then just do a barbecue at their house. <laughs> that is the condition. Have you got a garden? Yes, you have a friend yeah. now. Well, like like you've mentioned before, this leap uh, between enjoying different aspects of life and culture in your hometown, then in Germany, now here. When you started doing pretty much just the marketing and a bit of PRing uh, for the School of Walk, and of course you were in, you know, permanent contact with with the food that they were producing, and um, there is, I think, a leap between enjoying a cultural manifestation, that is, for example, food, and becoming involved in the production of it. Uh, harvesting from your experience and developing new skills to become a cook and quite a creative one is something definitely requiring a good amount of drive and discipline, which no doubt you have. Um, but how did you transition to embracing cookery uh, while still performing your job as a marketing manager? Uh, well, I've always been uh, interested about food. I love food and love cooking. And since moving to London, I've been working in some way or another in food. Here at the school, we're always talking about food, whether it's what we're going to have for lunch, which restaurant we're going to try next, what new menus should we teach the classes. Uh, it's always food. So for me, it was quite clear that I wanted to start my own project in the same field. The difficult thing here is trying to juggle two things at the same time, working full time at the school, finding time in the evenings and weekends to work on Eat Latin, and on top of everything, trying to keep an active social life. And that's definitely, it's not easy. Um, but I've, I've learned a few things along the way, and some of it is like, well, the, it's, I need to be patient and persistent, and the projects might take a bit longer to happen, but I'm positive that it, I will achieve my end goal at the end of the day. <laughs> well, that sounds like a, a very disciplined approach indeed. I will just try and stretch the last part you mentioned about your social life because well, for those who have never been uh, in London it's really a diverse city uh, there's people from all over the world and while there are pockets of Latin American immigrants here in London they are a bit scattered I would say in the city and mainly these um, small pockets of immigrants are constituted by Central and South American expats Let's remind the listeners that Mexico is part of 
the northern hemisphere. Uh, so Mexico is actually North America because we are above the equator. But you have reached out to these uh, Latin American cooks and have built a collaborative network with chefs and cooks of Hispanic origin and created your own startup, which you just mentioned, under the name of Eat Latin. How did you come up with the idea? How did you put it together? How often do you do these collaborations? And what kind of cooks have you invited to to work with you? How this evolves and what has been the outcome of all this? Uh, well, the idea of feedlatting began because I wanted to learn a bit more about Latin American cuisines. We know that here in London you can find people from everywhere, so I guess that's where the idea began. I thought that it was a good way just to research, cook and write about the recipes. But then the project evolved into supper clubs, which I currently run every so often. I wanted to host them in collaboration with other chefs, with the idea to increase my opportunity to learn even more. And so far I work with friends that I have experience working in different kitchens, mainly Latin American food. Um, and the supper clubs have been a great success so far. I had led opportunities of working with Mexican and the Salvadorian embassies. How did that happen? <laughs> I mean, it's not, it's not like, yes, I have worked with the embassies. How, how did that happen? Uh, and are, are these cooks that you collaborate with part of, you know, teams of restaurants? Or they also run their own supper clubs and, and just get together and throw these amazing events? Well, I think it was mainly luck. Well, one of my friends, which I did the first supper class with, I met him while having a few beers at a Mexican bar. We all can spot a Mexican person here in London. So I was with a friend, we were having a couple of beers, and I told my friend, you know, like the guy behind the bar is Mexican, just talk to him in Spanish. Uh, he ended up being Mexican, of course, and he told me, oh, the guy that works in the kitchen is Mexican as well, I'm going to introduce you to him. So we started talking, and then I guess we saw the passion about food in both parts. So we said, okay, let's start doing something. And he has been living here in London for more than 10 years, working in oh, Mexican wow. kitchens. And he has a lot of uh, connections. So one of them was the Mexican embassy. And there was a point when they reached to us to say if we could do like a couple of events with them. So that's how that started. For the well, Salvadoran embassy, I have a friend that works in the embassy. And again, like she knew that I was doing my supper clubs. So she invited me to one of their events. Um, so I think at the end of the day, it's just reaching out to the right people or just luck as well. I think also by starting Eat Latin, I have pushed myself a bit more to meet people from Latin America. So I think that has helped me a lot because before that, I didn't knew, even Mexican people, mm -hmm. I didn't knew many. Mm -hmm. But by starting in Latin, I have pushed myself into okay, a bigger I, pool. Yeah, I mean, you need to start meeting people. And at the end of the day, if you want to learn the cuisine of the country, you need to know its people as well. Yeah, It's yeah. where you get the best recipes from. You yeah. know, like there's always a dish that brings you back home. Yeah, so it's yeah, just yeah. like talking to people from everywhere and then saying, like, well, what's the dish? And you will always find a great story behind it. That's the best way to do it, really. Well, like you have just uh, started sharing that in your line of work and as part of the many actors changing people's perceptions and relationships with food and precisely not understanding the culture behind um, traditional cuisines. Uh, through the School of Walk, where you currently work, and your own independent events, what do you think uh, has contributed to increase or change the interest in learning and having these kind of experiences uh, of like supper clubs and cookery classes? 
what do you think that people are seeking now and and what kind of people are, are taking part in this in this shift in this new way of approaching and understanding film well i think we definitely live in a more connected world nowadays people are looking for new adventures new places to discover locally and around the world then you have the influence of social media uh, where you see photos and videos of different destinations delicious food all over the world so a lot of people that come to the school and my events are people that either been to that country and want to have more of that delicious food that they have during their travels or people that are just curious about discovering new flavors but also you get the customers that are following the latest food trends on social media and if you happen to offer what well, that that that's the trend like avocado on toast yeah <laughs> so then you're in luck because you're giving people what they want you know like that's what it's all about then like because you know you are precisely in marketing and your part of your job is knowing exactly your demographic and and your well your market <laughs> how would you profile these people like are they primarily younger older um inner city dwellers adventurers a bit of everything yeah a bit a bit of everything like especially at the school uh our demographic is from like 25 um all the way up to like 54 those are the people that come to the school and then you get to hear the stories when they come to the classes and a lot of people is like possibly they live in Hong Kong and they came back so they want to recreate the dishes that they were having while they were living there as an expat or i think because it's so easy now to fly to asia then you get a lot of people that they've been to thailand they had a class there so they they really enjoy the experience so now they come back here to london or the uk and they want to have that experience again and that's what we are offering at the school um as for the supper clubs it's quite similar especially because most of the time we offer food from mexico so it's people that are intrigued about like you know the culture the mexican culture the mexican flavors there's this new wave as well here in london those is like a lot of new restaurants opening they know more about the culture and the food so they want to explore more about it or in the best case scenario they know that burritos are mexican and then they like really want to try the actual traditional mexican food no yeah i really like it because the people that attend is not people that okay they think that burritos are mexican and then that's it they're not they're not going to accept anything care, else <laughs> or they're not going to care to research more about the topic mm-hmm. people that come to supper clubs they they want to learn they want to hear mm-hmm. the stories they want to know what the reason behind certain dishes like what goes into it they come already highly motivated yeah at some point then it would be a very normal evolution uh, for you to start teaching mexican food well it's not an idea that i take note to if the opportunity um, shows up i would be happy to teach someone how to well, make tortillas you <laughs> know that opportunities don't just show up yeah. because you've created your own opportunities yeah we'll see i mean you get to see um when i'm doing a benchmark for the school you'd see other schools that are doing mexican cooking classes and the menu that they offer is just like i just want to cry to be honest it's like why are you teaching that to people mexican food is so rich like the whole gastronomy in mexico is always well, a massive country so you get delicious food everywhere and oh well, you know like the new restaurants are trying their best and some of them are but there's still a lot that can be done something that i've talked previously about on the show it's uh the the idea people have about mexican food is rather pinholed but i would say 
trying to be fair, things are changing. Um, so people like you and me are harvesting the hard work of loads of people, you know, Mexican immigrants who have started um, sort of uh, setting the record straight and showing that there's more in Mexican food just to to satisfy my curiosity. What kind of what kind of dishes really make you cringe <laughs> from these uh, classes that you see advertised? Yeah. Well, it's not that they're bad, but I think they're quite basic. And well, I guess that's the whole point of it. You need to start from the beginning. Um, but it's like, if you're going to charge around £95 for a class, I think you can teach much more. Mm. But, I mean, it's good that they're starting to do it because it means that there's a demand for well before I started to get interested in learning how to cook Mexican gastronomy is so rich that you can start teaching a bit more Mm. and it's true like you're right when you're saying that it's up to us Mexicans here in London to teach people so I guess it's our part like we need to do it instead of just complaining (laughs) yeah yeah Uh, (laughs) for the moment being you can keep an eye on uh, Yolanda's upcoming supper close and you can book as well a class with Carla. But now, I'm speaking about how Mexican food is portrayed not only um, in restaurants but also in media. I recently read the last issue of Ambrosia magazine and if you haven't read or even heard about this publication, I totally recommend it especially the issue featuring the rising cooks and chefs in Mexico City. It was a really nice surprise to know that most of them, uh, like me and like you, Yolanda, have come from incredibly different backgrounds, worked in a number of jobs that had little or nothing to do with formal culinary training, and yet have pursued their passion for food, well, opened up restaurants, bakeries, small literaries, and out of that thrust of inspiration and passion have come the most inspiring success stories uh, many of us celebrate because as someone said it is not what you do that people buy but why you do it and what is then Yolanda in the horizon of your work and which plans do you have in mind? Well you're actually giving me a lot of hope (laughs) with your comments. Uh, For me definitely 2018 is going to be the year where I focus on various food projects that I have, but I've been holding on for the last year because I was planning my wedding. Oh, well, who knew that planning a wedding abroad was going to take so much of my time, huh? So this year I want to start working on the blog again, developing more recipes, and more importantly, I want to start running supper clubs on a regular basis. Well, that, that sounds already a good deal of planning ahead. Nourishing our creativity and having new experiences I think uh, it's the best way to keep our work exciting and fresh and like you've said, you know, just meeting people and bouncing ideas uh, and daring, you know, to do new things and try and say, well, what's the worst that that can happen? You might like it in the end. (laughs) So that's great. So tell us, what are you reading now? Which places or or plays have you visited lately that you recommend to the listeners to go and try new flavours here in London? Uh, Well, I just finished reading... Yerba Santa uh, is a really good book uh, about Frida Kahlo's stormy life and her passion for food and cooking. But the nice thing about the book is that it's, it's also contains recipes that she used to cook for special occasions, like dinner with her friends, family, um, but mainly for her traditional Day of the Dead offering, which is, I would recommend it totally. Actually, I haven't read uh, that book. I have read Frida's 
fiestas. Mm -hmm. uh, or at least that's the name in English, in Spanish. It's uh, Las Fiestas de Frida y Diego, which was written by Diego's uh, daughter, Guadalupe. She was the daughter of uh, Guadalupe Marin, who was uh, Diego's first wife. I mean, it's a very endearing book because she talks about her own personal relationship with Frida and how Frida became like her second mother <laughs> and, and the care and love that Frida used to put in, in the food that she would prepare precisely for friends, family, Diego, of course, for Guadalupe herself. The, these other books which I've never heard about sounds like uh, the continuation, probably. So it explains her life, you know, like from where she was, when she was young, when she had the accident on the bus, like it was when the, well, she was born again, right? Uh, and that's where the death, her godmother appears. So she has this conversation with her where she was like almost dead. And the deal was that every year Frida had to do um, an offering mm -hmm. to her. So that's why she started cooking. So every year she had to do an offering. Mm -hmm. And you get all these super tasty recipes on the book. And then, of course, it just moves on to like her relationship with Diego and all her affairs that she had during her life. Um, so it's, it's quite an interesting book. The book has been published in English and in Spanish, and the name is Hierba Santa in Spanish, and the author is Francisco Hagenbeck. But we're going to put links and the cover and all the information on this episode's blog post, so you can get it. Uh, in terms of places to visit, I was thinking more about countries, where to go to have different experiences about food. Um, in November I was in El Salvador, and I think that country is really, really underrated. Not only for the food, but also the landscapes. Like, it's a really nice tourist destination, uh, and I must tell you, like, if you ever have a chance, just go and visit, you're gonna love it. It's really nice, especially because it's so small. You can be like in half an hour you're on top of a volcano, then another half an hour you're at the beach, and then they have like the really amazing beaches. Like the sun is so dark because of the volcanoes, so it's like volcanic sun. It's tiny but lovely country. Um, and then I'm also going to Japan for my honeymoon. Uh, yeah, and I cannot wait to eat all the food in there. I think I'm gonna gain a few stones probably. A few stones? <laughs> Let's hope not. I wouldn't mind. <laughs> Just a few pounds probably. <laughs> Well, that sounds great. Now, Yolanda, uh, we're almost reaching the end of the interview and um, I want to ask if you would share one recipe that you really, really like that has a special meaning for you that you could share with the audience uh, so we can put it up on this episode's blog post. And then, of course, your social media accounts, website, email, how can people reach you for catering events, so supper clubs. Uh, one of the recipes I really like from the website in Latin, it's, um, it's a dry chilies pulled pork steam bows. Uh, I really love this recipe because it represents who I am. Um, the pulled pork is inspired by asado, which is a traditional dish in my hometown. And then you also have the, the steam bows, which is, well, of course, from working here, my experience working here at the school. You can give it a go, it's, it's quite delicious. <laughs> and then, yeah, well, I'm on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And for the three of them, the 
handle is eatlatin, so you can find me by that. My email address is yolanda at eatlatin.com. Just send me an email, and then we can talk about things that we can do together. No, that's great. Um, and I'm sure um, someone will pick up the invitation and reach out to you. Yolanda, thank you so much. Well, thank you, Rosie. I really enjoyed it. Uh, wish you nothing but good luck for your projects. Remember to follow Yolanda and Latin to keep up with her latest adventures. And check this episode blog post to get Yolanda's recipe. You will find links for all the things that were mentioned in the show, such as the School of Walk, Yolanda's book recommendation, the recipe that she very kindly shared with all of you through the show, and of course the link to subscribe to my newsletter. So I decided to do something different for the upcoming episode. I keep having requests to talk more about what supper clubs are and how they work. I've been sharing the collaborations I've been doing uh, with supper clubs and pop-ups. Um, I thought it was great, you know, to explore more the idea, to explain how it works, and, and it might as well be the right thing for you and, and what you are looking for to start your own side food business and it's a safe way to try it it's really fun um so we'll talk about that on the next episode and i thought that we could together you and me do the second part of the episode so i often get asked loads of questions about mexican food mexican traditions the history and use of certain ingredients how about you send me your questions just record them Uh, record a voice message on your phone uh, say your name where are you from and your question I will put in on the air and try my best to answer them how about that so send them over to me you will find my email address in this episode description and we'll make the next episode together that sounds fun To find more information about this project, please go to pasdechipotle.com. The show is now also available on YouTube. You can find the channel as Paz de Chipotle Podcast, free for everybody to listen on YouTube. And the idea is also that I will upload uh, occasional videos. So keep an eye out, Paz de Chipotle Podcast on YouTube. Well, that's it for this week. The next episode will be recorded and produced in Mexico. I'm heading back, but you're coming with me wherever I go. So goodbye from me, my friends. Until the next time. Grand fiestas are a unique way to remember and joyously celebrate the nation's history, cultural diversity and ancestral traditions. From the patriotic celebrations like Independence Day and the anniversary of the Mexican Revolution to Christmas, Dia de la Candelaria and the world-famous Day of the Dead. These iconic celebrations bring together new and ancient traditions from the spiritual to the joyous, always welcoming locals and strangers 
in rewarding and soulful celebrations of life. The Mexican Fiesta's issue of Sabor, This is Mexican Food magazine, explores the cultural history of the nation's festive calendar through in-depth articles and many traditional recipes to prepare unique dishes like pozole, chiles en ogada, day of the dead bread, and many more. To know more about the wonderful articles and recipes to start the making of your own family traditions, go to pasechipotle.com forward slash magazine. Take sabor with you on all your digital devices. Go to pasechipotle.com forward slash magazine and get ready to cook, learn, and enjoy Mexican food like you never imagined.